0: How are you now? How are you on this fine... What is it? Oh, it's Tuesday evening. Well, Tuesday night. Or maybe it's Wednesday already. I don't know when you're listening to this. I know I'm recording it pretty late for me anyways on a Tuesday. Your Montreal Canadiens lose by a score of 4-1 to one to the Minnesota Wild. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the bottom 6 minutes podcast presented by Absize and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and we are we are going to do a, a little bit of complaining about the officiating today. Just a little bit. You know, you if you listen to this podcast, you know it's one of my favorite things to do and boy, we had a Chris Lee game, folks, so I got some material for you. Anyways, let's get into the game before we get into that. All right. This was you know, kind of a scheduled loss. For the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, we saw the last game against the Minnesota Wild, and it went quite similarly to that one, honestly. Um, the Habs actually were the better team in the first period. Shots were 15 to 7 for the Montreal Canadiens through 20 minutes. They were getting the better chances, but not by a wide margin. Uh, Minnesota was doing a really good job of just getting counter chances off the rush. Uh, the Habs were getting more shots. A lot of them were cosmetic. Uh, Marc Andre Fleury was very good in net. Uh, he made the saves that he needed to. 15 to 7 through 20 in shots, but we had no score. Second period is where it fell apart for the Habs. Very early in the second period, uh, turnover just outside the zone uh, gets. Sent in for a bit of a rush for Minnesota. Again, doing a very good job with counter rush chances. Joel Erickson-Eck with the shot. Mason Shaw gets the rebound. Puts it in one nothing. Bit of a bad rebound for Jake Allen on that one. I think he would probably like to have that one back. But he can't have it back. It's one nothing for the Wild. Later on, Joel Armia, he drives the net. Gets called for goaltender interference. Um, oddly enough, he was hooked earlier in that play and they didn't call that. But they called the goaltender interference... I won't argue with the penalty, but I will argue with the fact that they should have called the one that happened before it. Anyways, it gives a power play to the Minnesota Wild, and Kirill Kaprizov, real nice shot. Uh, it, it it came in and out of the net so quickly that they weren't even sure about it. They had to actually go review it, uh, but it was in 2-0. Uh, to nothing. Goddamn, Kirill Kaprizov is a very good hockey player. And then, later on in that same period, it becomes 3 0 for the Minnesota Wild. This one, I have some beef with. Marco Rossi, it was a two on one for them. And David Savard, he sprawls out, does a really good job, actually gets a piece of the puck, tips it way up in the air. Marco Rossi hits the puck clearly to me. This was a high stick. And I will have an image of that in the article on Habs Eyes and the Prize to kind of show you what we were looking at there. Uh, it, for me, it was 100%, it was above the shoulder. Uh, but they said on review, the Habs challenged it. They said no. It was hit at shoulder level. Call is confirmed, and Habs get a penalty, and it is three nothing for the Minnesota Wild. They did kill off the penalty, um, which was the good news there. But the bad news is, you know, they go into the second intermission down three to nothing. Go into the third period, and it's just it. It turns into a bit of a shit show. Refs aren't calling much, if anything, and um, we get down. Uh, Habs actually do get a power play. Later in the period, I was surprised. Sure enough, it wasn't in Chris Lee's end when they called the penalty, but alas, they get a power play. And once again, the Habs power play, actually kind of effective. This time, Kirby Dock down low, puts it on a platter for Nick Suzuki. And Nick Suzuki just claps that home and makes it 3-1. to one. The Habs have some life. They push back a little bit. Brendan Gallagher got a breakaway. They got stopped. Uh, they came close to starting a comeback there, but uh, it was it was ill-fated. Matthew Boldy would score an empty net goal for the Wild to make it 4-1, and that was our final. Now, I promised you a ref complaint, and you are going to get it. So if you don't like hearing people complain about the officials, now might be the time to, to press mute for a couple of minutes or, or to turn off the podcast. Uh, it is entirely up to you. Uh, I don't decide what the people like to listen to. I just give you my thoughts on the game. And fucking Chris Lee. I cannot stand to watch that guy officiate Montreal Canadiens games. It is beyond clear that he has a bias against the Habs. And I'm not saying that this is a league thing, but if they don't do something about it at some point about this guy, it's it's not Montreal's not the only team that he's got a clear bias against. There are plenty of other teams that'll tell you the exact same goddamn thing about this guy. Keep in mind, let's go back for a minute to the playoff run. Right? Remember that series against Vegas when Nick Suzuki got punched in the face by Braden McNabb and the ref in the corner literally like Purposely turned his head to the side after the punch already happened, as if to say, "Well, I didn't see anything there. That was Chris Lee." In case you don't remember, in this game we had obviously the high stick call, right? Which I don't agree with whatsoever. But I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they have a better angle than I had, and it was actually a perfectly at the shoulder level touch. Again, I had a pretty good angle. Uh, I will put it an image of that in the article and as in the prize, if you want to judge for yourself, your yourself, Jesus, yourself. <laughs> but I, I I felt it was high, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. What I won't give him the benefit of the doubt on is the fact that in, the, what was it? the Was it the second or third period? I can't, I can't remember. but Anyways, down in the corner, John Merrill, former Hab John Merrill, cross-checks. I think it was Drouin in the mouth. Again, I will put the highlight in my article so you can see it. Cross-checks him in the mouth, right in front of Chris Lee, and no call. This guy won't give Montreal a call to save their lives. I mean, late in the game, uh, it was already in hand. It was 4-1 at this point. The empty netter was already in. Um, Marco Rossi had a bit of a, I guess, dangerous hit on Uri Slavkovsky. I didn't really have a problem with the hit. I did have a problem with the fact that on the way to that hit, he slashed him about five times in the legs and arm, and no call. Chris Lee again, right on top of the action. He's there to see it, but he's not calling any of those slashes. I mean, this guy has a clear bias against the Montreal Canadiens, and I, I, I'm usually reticent to say that the refs are biased against the Habs. Uh, I felt like I don't, I can't remember who the other ref was there, but I, th- I think he did a decent job in that game. But Chris Lee, come on, the proof's in the pudding. There's statistical data going back years that proves that the Habs have a way worse winning percentage when he's on the ice than they do when he isn't these are the same teams right I understand the Habs are bad right now so I'm not trying to say Chris Lee cost them that game what really cost them that game was the fact that they had some problems defending against the rush from Minnesota like Minnesota was very opportunistic they were pouncing on uh, loose pucks and turnovers and that's how they generated their offense But Chris Lee didn't help, and he never helps. He does not do his job properly when the Montreal Canadiens are involved in the game. As a matter of fact, he does not do his job properly in general. He shouldn't be officiating professional hockey. This guy's poorly positioned. Listen, anybody who has ref hockey before will know a thing or two about the piston system, right? Half piston is the position where you're basically like in line with the face off dot, but you're at the bottom of the circle. It's a really good position for you to stay in when the puck is in your zone because you can, you, you are basically on the goal line. So you can see across and you can really see when the puck goes in and it helps you out a lot. Uh, he sits his ass in half-piston while the puck goes halfway up the ice. The puck will be at center ice, and he'll just be leaving half-piston. That's not what you're fucking supposed to do, man, at all. You're supposed to follow the play. He's poorly positioned. He thinks he knows more than he does. He thinks he's better at the job than he is, and he shouldn't be in that position anymore. I'm tired of watching him. Um, uh, I'm going to get angrier and angrier every time I have to watch him, and who knows if there's any end in sight to this misery that is Chris Lee reffing Montreal Canadiens games. I don't know. I hope at some point somebody who works for the NHL takes a look at the data, takes a look at the video that's available, takes a look at video of him literally turning a blind eye to a penalty in front of his face, making sure that he can't call something that benefits the Montreal Canadiens and says, oh, yeah, this guy can't be doing that anymore. Fucking Christ. <sighs> I, I got to stop there. I'll, I'll stop there and <laughs> we'll move on to talking about hockey. So anybody who turned off the podcast, I guess you turned it off so you wouldn't know what I'm saying anyways, but we'll get back to talking about some performances that were actually important on the night and I guess let's go with your silver lining or your player of the game, however you want to look at it. It would have been easy for me to go with Nick Suzuki because he scored the only goal for the Montreal Canadiens, of course. And I'll, I'll talk about him for sure. But for, for my money, my player of the game for the Habs was, was Jordan Harris. Jordan Harris has been fantastic so far this season for the Montreal Canadiens. And it might not be showing in terms of the statistical output, like goals and assists. Right, but when you look at just how effective he is, how efficient he is as a a defenseman, this is the kind of player that you need to have on your roster to win a Stanley Cup. The god of mischief is back and better than ever. Loki, 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 Loki. Loki. wow, great to see you again. Critics agree Loki season two is marvelous, great, and it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two, now streaming only on Disney Plus. Plain and simple. He plays excellent defense, he moves the puck well, he generates a lot of shots on his own. And he also threw effective Get, uh, puck management and through effective puck movement he generates a lot of shots for other players as well they typically in every game outshoot the opponents when he's on the ice they out attempt the opponents when they're on the ice when he's on the ice rather and they out possess the opponents when he's on the ice he had a play in the first period i think it was where he's defending against the rush and it was not quite a two-on-one But he kind of had to deal with two guys at the same time there because they're coming back. And again, Minnesota was doing a very good job uh, attacking off the rush and off of turnovers. And Harris just stood his ground. He just maintained really good gap control and he had an active stick. So the first pass that came across past him, he almost got it with his stick. And then he just closed that gap a little bit more. And when they tried to pass it back across, boom, his stick's in the lane. He picks the puck off, he grabs it, he throws it up to Cole Caulfield, and the puck's going back the other way. So Minnesota, as good as they were in transition in that game, Jordan Harris was was looking for every opportunity to disrupt that transition and send it the other way. And on many occasions, he succeeded. Um, I've been a very big fan of what he's been doing so far this season. He's been quietly one of the better defensemen on the Montreal Canadiens roster. And I can't talk about Jordan Harris without also talking about Caden Cooley. Caden Cooley was, he was great in that game. Played a little bit less minutes than he normally does. Usually he's closer to twenty minutes in a game. I think he was sitting around, I don't know, fifteen in that game, so a little bit less. But I mean, he was great. He was generating some real good offense, like jumping into the rush again in the first period. Uh, there was a play where he's up near the point and he sees Yoel Armia on the opposite side of the ice, uh, coming up the boards. right? So he's coming up the wall towards the hash mark, and there's an open passing lane that's just it's it's parting like the Red Sea. And Caden Gooley sees it, comes down a little bit, gets a one-timer. Uh, Marc-André Fleury made a really nice save on the play. But shots like that, more often than not, they end up as goals. Either you get a tip or either the shot goes in all on its own but the, the vision, the anticipation by Caden Gooley to see that passing lane open and to go fill that open spot to get the, the shot on goal was excellent. Uh, two really young defensemen showing way beyond their years, maturity, ability to defend, uh, ability to jump up and create some offense as well. Fantastic. And again, I can't talk about those two without also talking about Arbor Jacki. I thought he was kind of third fiddle among those three in this game, but again, he was very effective. I'm looking at the stats page right now on natural stat trick. Seventy-six percent or no sorry, that's Caulfield, sixty six point six seven percent Corsi four for Arbor Jackeye on the night. Not too shabby. The one thing that he's struggled with has been defending against high danger scoring chances. So far this season, they've had a bit of a rough go. Getting high-danger scoring chances in his favor when he's on the ice, and this was it was no different on that particular night. He was thirty-three point three three percent. So, scoring chance-wise, again, still a little bit of work to do on that front. Um, but overall, a, a really impressive game from those three. Those three young defensemen that are potentially going to be part of this core for a long time. Um, there, there's there's good there. There's really. Good stuff that we're seeing on a nightly basis. And again, I go back to Harris, a player like that who's that quietly effective, doesn't bring a lot of fanfare, doesn't blow the doors off offensively. He's not going to cost you eight million dollars to re-sign when he's done. You can get him on a long-term deal at a very affordable cost, and and he's going to and he's going to perform. You know, it's. It's one thing to have those flashy defensemen, right? It's one thing to have Kale McCarr's. Of course, if you can get a Kale McCarr, you're not saying no, right? But they cost. They cost a lot of money. Jordan Harris is never going to cost you a lot of money, but he's going to be worth every penny and more when you do pay him. So that's the good news for the Montreal Canadiens is we got, we got three really good young defensemen who are already eating big minutes and looking like they belong there despite playing on A a team that's not going to make the playoffs and B being rookies this is their first real NHL action and they got to do it on a team that's already not very good and they're looking good in so doing i mean you got to be at least partially excited about that if you're not if you're just upset about the way the team's playing in general and the record then you're missing the forest for the trees at that point because these guys these guys are good they're going to get better and That's great news for the Montreal Canadiens. And then I have two forwards that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, I got to talk about Nick Suzuki, obviously, scored the power play goal. I said it on the episode that we did, the absent minded episode we recorded earlier today for the Players of the Month. You know, Pat Bexel asked, Do you guys think that Nick Suzuki could? get into the conversation for player of the month next month or do we think it's just going to be Cole Caulfield month after month after month and I said absolutely I think he can I think that if the power play starts clicking a little bit more in particular you know Nick Suzuki's going to see opportunities because other teams are going to start keying on Cole Caulfield so they mixed it up a little bit and they had Nick Suzuki you know moving around in the bumper spot and sure as God's got sandals almost to a T what I had kind of said I thought what happen was opportunities opened up for Nick Suzuki. Kirby Doc feeds it directly to Suzuki and he pounds it in. This guy's on his point per game pace. I, I really wonder, is he going to hit 90 points this season? I don't think it's out of the question. That was a rough game for them in terms of capitalizing on their chances. It was a rough game in terms of generating high danger chances in general. You know, uh, Minnesota did a really good job limiting those high-danger chances. And when they did have chances, Fleury was quite good in net. So this was a tough game for them to put the puck in the net, and Nick Suzuki still managed to do it. I don't know, folks. He might actually be able to hit 90 points this season. I had predicted that he would do it during his contract, but I said this year was going to be a tough one to do it. I'm thinking game by game it becomes less tough for him to get there. With the way he's playing right now, with the way he's piling up the points, I think it's possible. Let's put a pin in any predictions at this point, but um, I'm feeling very good about his chances. Let's say that. And then Kirby Doc, So Kirby Doc obviously assisted on the Suzuki goal, as mentioned a couple of times already, um, and he looks great. He looks like the kind of player that you draft at third overall because of what he can do physically in terms of his vision he makes really good passes um forechecking he's forechecking very very well i mean i don't know why precisely chicago was willing to move on from him but what i've seen from him so far in this season is he blowing the doors off offensively no not whatsoever but he's been effective He's looking like he could be a real legitimate power forward for this team, and he is absolutely the right player to have on the other wing with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. I know that they probably acquired him thinking this is going to be our number two center. But I submit to you, Owen Beck's coming. Owen Beck's coming as early as next season. I think it'll be next season, and I think he can eat number two center minutes maybe as early as next season if not the year after that which you're probably at least that far out from competing for a cup anyways you don't necessarily need docket at center if he's better off for you on the wing then maybe that's what chicago was missing maybe they were trying him too hard at center and what they needed to do was move him to the wing so far it's been a revelation watching him play on that opposite side with suzuki and caulfield They need to keep that going. I would not break that trio up for anything. It would take something monumental for me to break that trio up personally. So I'm keeping them exactly the way they are. Love the way Kirby Doc looks on the other side of that line. And just keep it going. Let's see. That's all I really got to say. I mean, the Habs probably deserved to win that game. Um, you, You take into account a couple of things. Right, the officiating—absolute dog shit. Chris Lee, go fuck yourself, man. You shouldn't be allowed to ref NHL hockey, let alone Montreal Canadiens games, because you clearly have a problem with them. And then, you know, the the transitional game of, of Minnesota. Oh, and uh, Fleury as well. Um, the, the Habs outshot him, outpossessed him. Hypothetically, you play that game ten times, you probably win six or seven of them. But you don't win all of them. It's it's hockey. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I'm not upset about the fact that they lost. I am upset about the fact that the officials were as bad as they are. But what can you do? You know, We're going to lose a lot of games this season. Uh, I just wish they could be a little bit more entertaining than that. But at the very least, we did get to see some impressive performances as discussed. And hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that moving forward. I'm going to cut it off there because I'm already running over 20 minutes. So, again, une soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Uh, We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple. I am on Twitter, at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. You would see some of those highlights, some of those gifts and stuff that I post throughout the course of the game before... I post them in my article on Eyes and the Prize. So maybe that maybe there's some value there for you. And guess what? I won't charge you $8 a month. Elon Musk might try to charge you $8 a month, but I won't. I give it to you for free. Anyways, we are back again on Thursday night. So until then, a la you.